By watching or listening to this show, you are acknowledging that you are of legal age to purchase and consume cannabis in your region. This production is for adults only. Have you seen the slash? Made by users for users. Engineered for flavor. One of the coolest features around. A built-in loading tool. Learn more at www.stonesmiths.ca. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. Our weekly visit uh, to the wonderful Okanagan Valley as we bring in David Wiley from this uh, from the OZ for This Week in Cannabis News. And you see the beautiful pictures there. You can check out the website at okanaganz.com. David, my friend, how are you on this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. It's business on top with the collared shirt and track pants below. So <laughs> you caught me on a good day where I'm wearing pants. So that's, uh, you know, thank goodness yeah. for that. Exactly. I, th- listen, I think you? a lot of, I, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm not wearing pants. I'm wearing shorts. I wear shorts basically <laughs> year round, uh, not outside all the time in my climate, but inside uh, shorts and uh, and some inside uh, casual, comfortable shoes. So uh, I too am uh, kind of casual on the top and very, uh, very, very casual on the uh, on the bottom. But that's life these days. Lots of people are doing that. We're you know, lots of people are still working from home. And I think you know, David, we were having a kind of discussion before we got going. I think a lot of people are realizing some of the benefits of working from home and might look to continue this post pandemic. I hope it's something that catches on. I mean, it makes so much sense on so many different levels, particularly uh, being able to be casual below the camera line. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, let's dive into this uh, first story. We're going to take a bit of a a trip uh, around the globe and then come back home, and we're going to start in Mexico with their, I call it on-again, off-again legalization because we've uh, you know heard for a long time they're going to legalize, and then uh, pandemic, uh, that pushed things back, and then they decided to push things back for other reasons, but now it sounds like uh, it certainly got the votes, and it's, uh, it's a go in Mexico, as they might say. Oh, just about. Yeah, it's as close to green lit as it comes at this point. Um, Big step closer to legalizing recreational cannabis in Mexico. Their lower house there, the Chamber of Deputies, voted 316 to 129 in favor of a bill. Um, So Mexico could become the world's largest cannabis market. Uh, Interestingly, from a global perspective, that means that the U.S. would be sandwiched between two legal countries, Canada and Mexico. It's been over two years since the Mexican Supreme Court ruled that the country's ban on recreational marijuana was unconstitutional. Uh, The New York Times says that this measure is expected to sail through the Senate uh, before being sent to Mexico's president for final assent, and he's signaled his support for legalization. Well, it's not yet passed. Uh, The measure in its current form would allow adults to use cannabis, Um, With a permit, they could grow a small number of cannabis plants at home, and it grants licenses for producers, um, both small farmers and commercial growers, to to grow for the industry. So, yeah, uh, moving forward in Mexico. 
Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of interesting um, that uh, the John Walsh, the director of drug policy for the Washington office on uh, Latin America, USC advocacy group, saying you know North America is heading towards legalization. You got Canada, as you said, uh, you know Mexico sandwiched around it. The U.S. Um, um, I think there's a you know less than 15 states that don't have some form of. Uh, legalization medically or, or recreationally. So uh, this is a big step helping the uh, kind of the, the, the global step forward and, and pushing the U.S. towards it. And I also found it really interesting, David, uh, that, you know, the, the one comment in the story I found interesting was that, you know, when it comes to the cartels, marijuana is such a small part, if if at all, for for some of them, they're they're you know they're looking at unfortunately uh, opiates and and you know the cocaine industry and things like that. So, th- you know the the kind of the you know car- the, the cartels in Mexico are legendary. We know that, but they're not really focused on marijuana. So this shouldn't impact it one way or the other. I don't think. Yeah, that's that's what some of the critics say. You know, the the idea that this was going to have an impact on the cartels was part of the reasoning why Mexico uh, is going down this road. Um, one of the things that surprised me actually is that nearly two thirds of people in Mexico oppose legalization um, yeah. through recent polling, and that was that was surprising for me. Often, it's uh, well in the cases that we've seen, uh, it gets pushed forward by people who, um, you know, want to see this happen. Um, and it seems kind of uh, that, that Mexico's bucking that trend. Yeah, the one thing that uh, people brought up is, you know, there's there's been a lot of people growing marijuana in Mexico. Farmers have grown it, but they would get involved in warring conflicts and drug trafficking. Well, now this is legal. And the bill mandates that small farmers and indigenous people give priority in licensing, but stipulates that only that these vulnerable groups can be granted more than one license. So they are looking at the people that have, have unfortunately been you know, caught up in the middle of this for a long time to allow them to maybe be able to make a profit and a living off of this. Yeah, definitely. And it's it is going to be interesting to see how this shakes out internationally. Um, You know, I can name different cannabis companies around the world, but I honestly I can't name a single one that's out of Mexico. So I'm sure that we'll see that change over the next year. Yeah, that's a that's a a really, really good point, actually, is that uh, um, it it could be the biggest market with a lot of people really getting involved in legalization. And and obviously, you know, the tourism industry is going to benefit, you know, the benefit from this because there are people like myself that when I do get to travel again, I'm going to be traveling to cannabis friendly states Mm -hmm. in the U.S. or provinces, obviously in Canada, we're we're all legalized here, but different countries, um, you know, I'm going to be over the next little while choosing my travel plans based on cannabis because it's it's an important part of my life. So we'll see how that impacts the uh, the tourism industry in Mexico. Okay, let's get on to another global story, and this one involving uh, Curaleaf as they uh, dive into the global cannabis market. Curaleaf is the biggest cannabis company in the U.S. as far as footprint goes. Um, you know, cop- companies are jockeying right now for position in developing international markets, and Curaleaf Holdings. Uh, it's actually the biggest cannabis company in the world even has made a huge move in the European cannabis market. Um, the company's agreed to buy EMAC Life Sciences for about $285 million. And that gives Cureleaf an entrance into 
uh, Europe's growing cannabis market out there. Uh, Emac is the largest cannabis company in Europe, again, by footprint. And in an interview with Bloomberg, Emac CEO Antonio Costanzo called the deal a game-changing combination with the two companies coming together. Uh, a lot of different companies now are eyeing the massive European market with that potential shift right now of their <clears throat> medical industry into a recreational one. Now, this, uh, this particular deal's currency is Kiraleaf shares and cash. So um, we're going to be seeing uh, some developments in Europe. Uh, the Netherlands and Switzerland are expected to implement recreational programs by the end of the year. Um, so lots of change there on the horizon. And, uh, you know, U.S. companies have mostly been focused on North America, uh, but uh, are definitely switching their focus uh, now to compete with um, other Canadian companies overseas. Yeah, and, and that's so interesting is that, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, Canadian companies that have, uh, you know, invested in U.S. companies and purchased and, you know, mergers and acquisitions and things like that. And that we've been so focused a lot of the things on, on the U.S. because they are such a trendsetter. But again, we talked about Mexico, Canada sandwiching the U.S. That puts pressure on them. A global cannabis market really puts pressure. You know, companies uh, going in the legalization route in Europe really, really forces, uh, you know, the, the U.S. to look a lot harder at uh, federally legalizing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think that there's... Um much question that that's on the agenda. Um, but the more pressure for a speedier entry for legalization across the US, um, you know, could have an impact. Yeah, uh, it's uh, the global market is changing so much. And you can see that if you're looking at news releases for earnings reports for different Canadian companies, uh, a lot of a lot of them, medium sized, large ones, uh, do have a focus on some global growth. And uh, we're also going to be seeing more and more companies buying up the big players, buying the small players for those um, different tickets to different countries. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, expanding into the uh, the Middle East and, and Africa, um, you know, they're talking about countries like Poland, Ukraine, South Africa. There's there's rumors of Egypt, according uh, to this article. So certainly, um, you know, the push is on now. Now, we, we say, you know, lots of countries could be looking at things and, and it never does happen. And, you know, whether they do it to. Uh, uh, to, you know, to curry favor with somebody in the political side and never happens, who knows? But the, the fact that people are talking about this means that that wheel of cannabis is continuing to turn uh, globally. And, and that, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the best thing ever. So, uh, and you know what? We should be proud as, as, a, cunt, as a country that, that we are playing a role in this as, you know, other than Uruguay, we were the first, uh, was it the first uh, G7 country uh, to, to legalize yeah. uh, fully? So, you know, that's, that's something that we should be proud of because other countries are going to be looking at our blueprint. But our blueprint isn't particularly perfect either, David. And a lot of countries are going to make changes. And one of the things about our legalization uh, situation and, and the process is the taxes. We all knew that the government was going to tax and, and get their piece of the pie because that, that, that was never going to be a question. But now people are saying, do they really have to be that high? I mean, like, do they really, like here in Alberta, we have massive, massive excise taxes. So there is some pushback now against the tax system in the cannabis industry. Some really interesting points brought up by stratcan.com. Um, their question is, is Canada's method for taxing cannabis flower broken? Um, got a hold of Tantalus Labs CEO, Dan Sutton, who thinks so. 
basically here's how it works in Canada. A cannabis is taxed at 10% of the dried flower selling price uh, or $1 per gram. So whichever is higher, about 25% of this revenue goes to the federal government. 75% goes to a provincial or territorial government. Now, Sutton says that if cannabis were selling at over $10 a gram, then the percentage formula would kick in. But right now paying, um, you know, a dollar in tax on say a 350 or a $4 wholesale gram uh, is quite a big piece of that pie. Now, the intention of this was to prevent a phenomenon where Canada hits a dollar a gram. And that happened in Oregon in the fear that uh, it would encourage consumption by young people because there would be such a, uh, a large amount of excess cannabis on the market. Now, the, the tax structure doesn't just impact companies, it Im impacts us as cannabis enthusiasts because we're paying essentially tax on tax and less of our money goes toward buying the actual consumer good. Uh, and as flowers marked up, it's taxed again, right? Through its journey. So tax and tax and tax along the way. Uh, Sutton says the system overall benefits big producers uh, who can actually take the hit on their end, but it's small growers that suffer. So it's, uh, it's a really interesting conundrum. And uh, I know that there's the review process that's underway right now on uh, cannabis legislation, different aspects of it. Uh, I'm sure that this is something that's going to get looked at. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, they, they also discuss in this piece about uh, the, the medical patient isn't exempt from these taxes as well. And a specific amount of excise tax is invisible to the patient is the quote from uh, Kelly Seagram, uh, the new business manager at Shelter Cannabis. And that's I think that's concerning as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the medical system is broken. And we've talked about that. And now you're just uh, adding a further cost onto a system um, that just doesn't work well for the patient. Yeah, it, it, you're you're right. The, the you know so much focus and you know rightfully so has gone towards legalization of recreational cannabis, and and I'm very very glad for that. But um, you know we do need to look at what the medical cannabis system has become, and uh, you know realize that this is medicine for patients, and and that should be a priority. You know we're we're still working towards fixing the recreational side. But we've kind of forgotten about, you know, the, the medical side. You know, we, we, were, we had to do so much dusting, we forgot about the vacuuming or whatever, right? Like, there's got to be a, a – we've got to have a balance because the medical side – is the is you know they, they were the kind of impetus and the real push you know this you know a big push I should say towards getting legalization going and things like that so we can't forget about the medical side and we can't forget David about the people that are in jail that are behind bars because of pot and the process has been a slow one so far fewer than 400 people have been pardoned for prohibition era cannabis crimes uh, which seems remarkably low. That's been since uh, about 20 months now that the federal government's unveiled its pot pardon program for possession. Say that three times fast. <laughs> um, the, now, the Parole Board of Canada tells CTV that uh, as of March 1st, yeah, officials have granted 395 pardons. Another 251 have actually been rejected due to ineligibility or incompleteness. Uh, you know, having a criminal record can impact travel, uh, volunteer and employment opportunities, and there's also potential for family law impacts. So this isn't just a small deal of, you know, having a, had a, a gram on you in the past. Uh, this can impact your moves moving forward. 
Now, lawyer Paul Lewin says that part of the reason for the small numbers is that the program just doesn't apply to as many Canadians as was originally thought. And he said that the initial number of 250,000 of these records was cited, which is likely too high, he says. Um, most possession convictions are from the 90s or before, so uh, you, there haven't been too many recent prosecutions. Personally, I was really surprised to find out that in 2017, 2018, before these free pardons, that 935 people were pardoned for breaking the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Um, that's the act that cannabis possession offenses fell under since the mid-90s. And another over 1,000 people, 1,040 people were pardoned for breaking the even earlier Narcotic Control Act. So we're actually seeing fewer people who are accessing this program, even though some of the barriers have been removed. Yeah, and and some of those reasons are because the process is, uh, you know, sometimes uh, there, there's there's definitely a fee. I think it's like, uh, you know, starts at six hundred and some dollars that you have to to get the process. You have to go find these documents. Sometimes they're in other cities, and uh, it's it's not an easy process for people, especially during these times with, with COVID. So maybe there's, you know, maybe a, a reason for a bit of a slowdown. I'm not sure, but the, the process isn't terribly easy. And, and also, you mentioned it. Some of these, these things are from the 80s and 90s. And some of those people are not around anymore, unfortunately. And, and that's a reason why, you know, those, uh, you know, records haven't been expunged or, or whatever the term might be. So there, there's a number of reasons. But the entire process uh, from, you know, what the lawyers in this article are, are talking about is very, very, very uh, detailed and a tough process to do for some people. It's still prohibitive. Even you have to go uh, through a fingerprinting process. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there were arguments at the beginning that continue to this day that uh, pardons are not the way to go, but rather expungement is the way to do it. Um, so basically, you wouldn't have to go through any process or application to do it. it your, your record would just be removed. So I, I still think that that's the way to go. Um, the federal government says that it's just too difficult. So that's the challenge you going through and uh, going through all the different documents and double checking to see that you've got the right offenses. Um, and like you mentioned, accessing those original court documents, because it's just not clear whether it's a cannabis possession or cocaine possession or MDMA possession. They don't know it wasn't spelled out in these in, in you know, just in the, the overall act in charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, as, as we said, at, uh, at different times with certain things in the legalization process, the government of Canada did the bare minimum, if that. So it's, you know, it's legal, but it's incredibly hard to uh, succeed when there are so many regulations of what you can do and can't do. But it is a process It is still unfolding, and hopefully... Uh, the process will get easier and, um, yeah. you know, faster uh, for, for, for some people, for sure. So, David, as usual, another excellent episode of This Week in Cannabis News. And people can find an ounce of info at okanaganz.com. And I'm sure you guys are getting closer to this picture that's on the screen right now, weather-wise, out there. <laughs> oh, I hope so. It takes a little bit of time for everything to green up, but the sunshine is out. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. We'll chat next week. Good to talk to you, Dean.
check us out and follow us on social media at the Cannabis 101 on Twitter, at the Cannabis 101 podcast on Instagram, and at the Canna 101 podcast on Facebook. You can email us at cannabis101podcast at gmail.com.